Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is my colleague, Joe Healy, and we are here to talk about week 14 of the college baseball season, the the last weekend of the regular season for pretty much every conference around the country. There are a few that wrapped up previously. There it is. Uh, The Big West still is is playing uh, regular season games this coming week. They're the only ones left with, with regular season games still anyway. Most of the country wrapped up the regular season this weekend, and that meant the conference title races wrapped up. There were spots being determined for who got into the conference tournament, uh, a big chance for, for teams to to boost their NCAA tournament resumes. So that made for a, a pretty exciting weekend around the country. Uh, we're going to get into all of that, the Pac-12 race coming down to the final weekend, the Big 12 race. We've talked plenty about that. We finally have a, a conclusion to that. Another weekend of chaos in the ACC. Uh, There was some uh, shakeup out in the SEC as well. Uh, A lot to get to, plenty more beyond that as well. So uh, we're going to dive into all of that and more today on this edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. And before we get started, usually I put this stuff at the end, but it is is a very busy time of year for college baseball, for, for us at Baseball America. So we would love it if you subscribe to this podcast, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to the podcast, hit the follow, hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. We are going to be continuing to, to roll here throughout the, the, the lead up to, to Selection Monday and the postseason, all your analysis here and at the on the website. So check out everything over at BaseballAmerica.com throughout this week as well. Joe and I will be doing our, our best to keep you up to date and, and projecting the field as, as best as we can. So uh, it really, I know this is a big time of year traffic wise. Uh, so we appreciate everyone checking in. And if you are back here for the first time in a long time or the first time ever, uh, it would, we would really love it if you came back uh, and, and stuck with us throughout the postseason. Uh, so that impassioned plea now aside, Joe, uh, it was a fun weekend of college baseball. It's also a big time traffic wise because Memorial Day weekend is coming up. So, you know, a lot of cars trying to get out. That's right. Yeah. So if you're stuck in traffic, uh, we have a podcast twice a week. That's right. It usually runs more than an hour. Yes, it does. Consistently. (laughs) I can't remember the last time we had an episode shorter than an hour, frankly. I'm sure it was in the off season. Probably. Um, But yeah, I mean, another big weekend. We talked offline uh, yesterday just about you know, how busy it was and it made our top 25 discussion kind of t- one of the tougher ones we've had, frankly. Um, it wasn't no single discussion was as intense as the week we were deciding between Tennessee and Oregon state for number one, but we had a lot of specific discussions about placing and stuff like that. And we'll get into the why of that as we, as we go along here, but in previous years, it feels like sometimes the final weekend can kind of just, eh, you know, and that makes it easy, relatively easy from a top 25 standpoint, but this was not one of one of those final weekends. It's, and, you know, it's, it's easy to ascribe feeling and motivation to this final weekend because it's the, the, uh, the upshot of all the results is clear, you know, when we, when we go into it, right? Like we know the stakes of basically every series at this point. So it's easy when you see like what the ACC bubble teams did and they're like, well, they, you know, they, they got it in gear and they, they understand what's at stake and like that could play a role. Sure. But, you know, also, you know, sometimes these results just happen and if they happen in mid April, we we'd be, you know, we wouldn't be as hanging on every last out of it, but that's, that's the beauty of it being the, the final weekend. So it was, 
a lot, lot to, lot to cover here. A lot to, uh, a lot that mattered. Still, I, th- I feel like in the places where we have questions, Big Twelve, ACC, uh, we don't really have any answers. It feels like still in a lot of cases, we have some answers to things like who's going to win the regular season title, obviously. But in terms of postseason pecking order, there's still a lot of unanswered questions, and in, in those two leagues in particular, which is, which is um, fun, but feels a little bit um, unique, I think. Well, let's start where we did get some questions answered this week. Have had some questions answered for a while, frankly, but but certainly got some answers this week. Let's go out west. Uh, the Pac-12, all season long, like literally nine, ten, I guess their, their regular season runs 11 weeks, 10 weeks, Oregon State was in first place in the Pac-12 until the last one, the one where it really counts. Stanford passes Oregon State with a sweep of Southern Cal. Oregon State loses its second straight series, this one at home to UCLA. They fall to second place in the Pac-12. Stanford wins the outright title. Stanford now has won two Pac-12 titles in David Esker's first five years. It's four seasons. Um, A really impressive feat for the Cardinal, for David Esker, to have the program in that position. But uh, especially this year, the way that they started, they went one and five in their first two Pac-12 series. This was the team that was picked to win the Pac-12, not just by us, but by Pac-12 coaches. And uh, they started the Pac-12 off one and five, dug themselves out of that hole. Uh, They haven't lost since May 1st. They're on a 12-game winning streak. And uh, most of those games in that streak are are Pac-12 games. And and so their strong finishing kick allowed them to get past the Beavers and take uh, take that outright Pac-12 title. uh, And they'll go to... Scottsdale this week as the the number one seed in the inaugural Pac-12 tournament, and they sewed up a, a top eight seed in the NCAA tournament with this. And uh, I mean, just everything everything that they wanted at the start of the season, they wind up they wind up living up to it. It just they took a bit of a long route to get there. It took until the final weekend of the regular season for them to to get into first place, but they get there and they ultimately not only win the, the they're not just sharing the title. They're not, they're not on tiebreaker because they beat Oregon State, though they did, but like just outright, they went out and they won the Pac-12 title this weekend. Yeah, they 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 did the thing that we said they were going to have to do, right? I mean, they they just you know they lost a series to Washington at the end of April, first first of May. And then since then they've just torn through the teams that they should beat, right? I mean, they they swept Cal, they swept Utah. Uh, I'm sad to report the drive for eight for Utah fell short this year. That's a tough, tough break there. Tough, tough. They didn't even make it tonight. Yeah, it was a I tough. I don't know if we want to talk about Utah. that but quickly. Utah, Utah falls short against Cal, and then Washington State also passed Utah in the Pac-12 standings. This doesn't matter because Washington State finished ninth and therefore will miss the tournament. But they swept over Arizona State to finish the season. Arizona State just dismal, dismal finish going into they will make the the Pac-12 tournament, but they're the eighth seed. It's not the finish the Sun Devils wanted. Yeah, no, no doubt there. Um but anyway, so you know Stanford and speaking of finishes that they didn't want, Stanford also sweeps USC to end the season and USC last in the Pac-12. Um and that series was like not even like talk about I mean, yes, there was a lot at stake for Stanford. So you talk about motivation imbalance, right? A USC team on the road, you know, USC is on the road and they're, they're not making the Pac-12 tournament regardless. And, uh, 
you know, Stanford's looking to win the Pac-12 title. So we talked about the motivations a little while ago. That's a classic motivation imbalance series. I get it. But to blow them out, I mean, to do, let me do some quick math here. 22 and seven is, is 29 and 12 is 41, you know, 41 to nine over three games. It's just including a 22 run game. Um, but that's that Stanford doing what we said they were going to need to do. We kind of saw this coming a while back and they've been inconsistent enough throughout the early portion of the season that, you know, I mean, we, we weren't a hundred percent sure they could do this. Right. I mean, I had some reservations about, is this team good enough to just, you know, basically lay out the, the, the back half of their PAC 12 schedule to do what they need to do. And it turns out the answer was yes. It, it looked kind of dicey when they lost that series to Washington, I'll be honest, but Washington, of course, also playing a lot better down the stretch, but I had my doubts at that point, but they, they certainly did it. And, and here you are. And uh, this program kind of just continues to, to roll on. Um, you really go back to the last couple of years of um, Mark Marquez's tenure there. Um, you know, he went out on a strong note and, and Dave Esker has really kept that ball rolling there. I mean, obviously there's still some unfinished business in Omaha that they're looking to, to take care of to make that, that first deep run in a while, but um, they are, they are certainly moving in that direction. It just seems like a, a matter of time at this point. Yeah. The, the, the long route that they took, was in part because the first half of the season, some things just weren't quite clicking right that we thought were going to click. They needed some time to figure out how their pitching staff was going to work, but they got there in the end. And Brock Jones, who early in the season just wasn't hitting for a lot of power and seemed like he was being pitched around a lot and wasn't quite sure how to handle that. Like, you know, you look at his numbers now and they sure look like, yeah, that's what the preseason All-American first round pick is supposed to be doing. Um, and you know, he's not the only one offensively that's gotten it together. Meanwhile, Brett Barrera and Carter Graham continue to, to be the, the consistent players they have been all season long, uh, and, and the leaders of that offense, along with Brock Jones, Alex Williams has turned into, I mean, like, I don't want to say he's the PAC 12's best pitcher because Cooper Jerpy is so good, but like the PAC 12's second best pitcher. And you can make a strong argument that he's, been better more consistently than jerpy uh and they found some guys behind that like you know quinn matthews and joey dixon have kind of exchanged roles for starting versus relieving and um they know who their guys are that they've got four pitchers who have thrown something like two-thirds of the innings that stanford has pitched this season they they know who their guys are they're they've got those those guys in place and they know they're going to throw a bunch of innings and Look, Quinn Matthews is not a traditional reliever, but he's uh, he's going to pitch a bunch of important innings for them, and they know that in any given weekend. And I, it just seems like they have found the right formula, and maybe we thought it would come together quicker uh, for Stanford. I know I did coming into the season. I thought Stanford would be a little more ready to hit the ground sprinting, uh, but it did take them a little bit of time. They overcame that rough stretch in, uh, in the early part of Pac-12 play, and, and they are – they are absolutely going at full sprint now. Yeah. You mentioned Alex Williams. I mean, that's one of my, my favorite stories this year, just how, what he's become. Right. I mean, there was at the beginning of the, year, I remember kind of talking of like, you know, Alex Williams is going to have to be the guy here. And it's, it's probably asking too much for him to be Brendan Beck, but I mean, his numbers are right there. Like, I mean, the, the, he's not quite the workhorse, I guess. Brendan Beck was, I mean, we can really sit here and he's got a better it. ERA. I'll tell you that. Yeah, but his ERA is better. Like, okay, maybe he doesn't strike out quite as many guys, but 
like we we could we'd really be nitpicking though i mean just because he's been so 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 good and it's it's even better numbers in the pac 12 a 136 era in pac 12 play i mean that's just absurd um so he's been has yet to allow it a home run in pac 12 play by the way that's a particularly pertinent stat there um he he's he's just been that guy and that's huge when you're talking about the type of thing that stanford is going to have to do i mean they're going to be playing at home for regionals that helps that takes some pressure off of a number one guy but um you know game one of a super regional game one of omaha if they get there all that kind of stuff like having a guy like that really does change the game because look anything can happen but you're, you're really banking on that guy being somebody who's going to give you six or seven strong innings against any good team he faces and that's that's just such a game changer, especially for, for a team like this. Like, I mean, let's face it, they have figured some things out on the mound, but it, it's it's still relatively thin. Like, they're, they're going to have to follow a schedule um, pretty pretty closely to feel comfortable um, against good teams. And so, and that starts with Williams. And so far, he's given us no indication that we shouldn't just bank on him being able to do that. Yeah, I mean, you can look at it one of two ways, I guess, the, the stat about how, um, you know, they, they've got four guys are accounting more than 60% of their innings, I guess either that's like, well, that's really good that they've, they've really zeroed in on, on who their dudes are and how they want to use them. And it's especially good because that fourth guy isn't a midweek starter. You know, it's just that those are the weekend guys, but on the other hand, yeah, like the, the, it does say something about how, you know, how deep they are and how, how closely they have to stick to their schedule. So um, you know, there, there are two ways to look at that. I, I choose to look at that more positively, uh, but, but there is certainly the flip side to that for Stanford. On the flip side of this whole thing, though, Joe, Oregon State, um, I don't want to get too down on them for having lost back-to-back series here to end Pac-12 play. Like I said, Stanford started Pac-12 play one and five. Um, so some of this is just they are hitting – you know, Stanford had time to dig out of that hole. Oregon State hit it in inopportune time. Um, but what is what what is your your level of concern now with uh, with the Beavers here as they as they try and progress uh, past this uh, th- this these tough two weeks, get some momentum back here in Scottsdale so that they can go into the NCAA tournament in a good spot. I'm a little concerned. I mean, you have to be just with with how the way the last two weekends have gone, um, you know, we, and that's reflected with us bumping in the down the rankings, obviously it's reflected in the fact they didn't win the pack 12, even though that looked, I don't want to say foregone conclusion, but I just think, look, I mean, when we elevate them to number one, you just kind of assume that's what's happening there. So I think you have to be a little bit concerned that said for one, I, I think this is a team that I would bet on playing pretty well in Scottsdale tournament settings are always weird. You never really know, but I think they're going to have a couple things going for them. One is I think their depth is such that I think they are both on the offensive side and the pitching side. And we've, we've hammered that nail home time and time again. So we won't do it again here, but the depth is such that they're really, I think set up to play pretty well in a tournament setting. Also, they're probably going to have pretty good fan support there. You know, they play in Arizona every year. They've, they've garnered quite a, quite a following there i'm sure both from you know uh snowbirds who have you know moved down to arizona and also just people who want to follow them to play there i think they're probably going to have a lot of support there that's probably helpful so there's that i also think one thing to remember with a team like this is that again it's a team that's going to host be hosting in corvallis and 
the teams they've played, I mean, how do I phrase this the right way? What they see, and this is also true in the SEC, this is also true in the ACC, Big 12, you know, what they see in conference play for the most part is going to, in many cases, be tougher, just about as tough or, or maybe even tougher than what they're going to see in a regional, right? Because they're going to be hosting. So you're going to see a, a four seed, obviously, from a small conference typically, you know, and then a, the two and the three are going to be about on par with what you see most weeks in your conference, in conference play. So it's important to remember that losing tough series down the stretch um, against good teams um, is not is not necessarily going to to mean that that something is is afoot. That said, I, I do think at this point, with it being two straight series losses, I do think you have to have a, a slightly heightened level of, of worry about it versus last weekend when when I was on this podcast, just kind of being like, eh, unless you think Jerpy is just not going to be good as good anymore. Like I don't really see a lot of reason for concern. And then he, you know, we go out and Jerpy pitches well and they still lose a series. So um you know, I think we saw kind of the other side of it, which is that, oh, it's not just when Jerpy gets got that this Oregon State team can can trip up. He can pitch well, and um, it may not be enough. And that's that's definitely new and, and different, it feels like, for this team. I don't love that uh, this happened. I do think you're right, though, that um, the uh, the matchup, particularly in a regional, um, you know, they don't have to throw Jerpy on a Friday. Like, obviously, somewhat is dependent on who you get as a four, but – you know, I would think that Fennings or uh, yeah, probably Fennings, but maybe Kmatz is uh, is good enough that you can put them as up against the four and then save Jerpy. And, you know, the two or the three won't have had that luxury. And so you can tilt the matchup further in your favor there. Um, even in a super, <clears throat> still would like their chances. I, what I really don't love, though, is that they've lost arguably their three biggest or their three hardest series. They lost at Arizona. They lost to Stanford and to UCLA at home. They did go 5-0 and against Oregon. And if you want to say that playing Oregon at home is tougher than playing at Arizona, I'll certainly listen to the argument. Um, you know, Oregon did just sweep Arizona. And the, the, the Beavers also went 3-1 and against Gonzaga. Two of those were midweek games. Two of them were opening weekend. They never had to face Gabriel Hughes. Like, I don't really know how to wait going three and one against Gonzaga versus some of these Pac-12 um, stuff when you didn't have to face Hughes. But that they, they do have those on their resume as well. Like, it's a it's a good resume. I just wish they hadn't lost, again, argue, either their three hardest series or three out of their four hardest series. I, I wish it hadn't gone down like that because it does – Give me pause, not in a regional, but in a super and, and then in Omaha. But they have time to correct. They have time to get back on track. Speaking of getting back on track, UCLA, um, which hit a, a, a tough stretch of its own now, uh, gets a, a really important series win in Corvallis. There had been some RPI issues for the Bruins. Uh, getting two wins in Corvallis cleared all of that up for the Bruins. Uh, feeling good about them going into the NCAA tournament. They're not in the hosting mix or anything, but that's a team I would not want to see show up in my regional. Yeah, I mean, they're they're talented enough to beat just about anybody, especially if they get healthy on the mound. And I don't know what the necessarily what the status of, of all that is, but um, that's that's obviously been a thing for them. But, you know, th th yeah, they can they can beat anybody and they, they've shown that time and again. They can also lose to some teams they they shouldn't on paper lose to. 
Um, but it's, it's amazing how it works though. This team, this is a team with RPI problems and they go and win a series against Oregon state, which look, that's a hard thing to do. I don't want to just be like, all it took was winning a series against Oregon state on the road, because like, that's a thing that not a lot of teams could do, but um, it has to be frustrating this time of year when you've got some of these teams in maybe mid-major conferences or power conferences that just aren't, or maybe having down years or, or whatever it is that are just fighting tooth and nail right now to like try to protect RPI or just scrape into RPI range. And, you know, UCLA just ho-hum waltzes into Corvallis wins a series and like, ta-da fixed. Which <laughs> um, is just, you know, that's, we understand that inherently that's life in power conferences versus versus mid majors and, and what have you, but man, that's, it's got to be a frustrating thing to, to watch unfold, even if, you know, saying it and doing it are obviously two very different things when it comes to winning a series in Corvallis. I, mean, I would also just be frustrated if I was a big 12 team, like, you know, like Texas Tech swept Oklahoma State on the road and did not get nearly the the, the bump that, uh, that, that UCLA did. Now, Oklahoma State was number three at the time that Tech swept them. Oregon State was number two, uh, but there was a significant gulf between two and three at the time. And also UCLA was trying to climb up from a lower level, which makes it easier to jump a bunch of spots because they're just more teams. Uh, you know, the further the further towards the middle or, or the bubble you get, like the the more packed in those teams are. So if you get a bunch of points, you're gonna you're gonna jump more teams at once. But still, I mean, I I would be frustrated if I was a Big 12 team. Like, what do I have to do? Like we we, we, we win all these these games on the road too and like we don't we don't see that kind of jump but uh yeah i mean you could be even more local about it like you and i talked about this one like how frustrated are you if you're gonzaga to where like yeah. teddy and i have have talked about this both offline and we may have mentioned it on a podcast that you know gonzaga's been hanging out in the 20s in rpi and boyd's world which does it an rpi needs report suggested that basically if you win five of your last six conference games so you've got three against santa clara and three against san diego if you win five of those six um, you're going to be in the top 16 in RPI. And that's been true. Like we've seen that coming for weeks now and they did it and they're 27 in RPI. And so like, it's an imprecise thing. And, and I'm sure Boyd would tell you that, but you know, it just, that felt like such a understood thing that was going to happen if they did this for so long. And, and, um, they didn't, and that's life in the West coast conference. Indeed. And, uh, now Gonzaga, uh, since we're here, Gonzaga did that. They went out and they, they won a series at San Diego this weekend, won the West Coast Conference uh, regular season title for the second year in a row. But again, for the second year in a row, I feel like it's going to come up with them just short of hosting regionals. That RPI is too close to 30 at this point. Uh, pretty similar way to how it went down last year, although I believe last year they lost to USD. They lost the series to USD on the final weekend. They won. They won the first game to win the title, and then they lost the next two, uh, and that was kind of the death knell for for Gonzaga hosting last year. This year, uh, they they went out and they won the series on the road, uh, and it, it still wasn't quite enough for them. Uh, so yeah, that's the I guess Joe. Since since we're out west already, let's just clean up the last west west coast thing that we wanted to talk about, uh, and that is UCSB uh, did made it official. It had been academic for like a month now that they were going to win the Big West since they swept second place Cal Poly on the road. Uh, but the the magic number finally hit zero on Saturday uh, when UCSB defeated UC Riverside. The Gauchos have won two of the last three Big West titles. 
Uh, and frankly, Joe, it just feels like at this point, the Big West runs through Santa Barbara. Yeah, I don't I don't think there's any any doubt about that. Like that's that's clearly established at this point. You know, the the teams that, you know, Irvine had the year they had last year, but didn't show this year or the years before it that, that they have yet established that consistency that that Santa Barbara has where it's just this is a regional team each and every year and they've managed the volatility in the big west you know both in terms of um you know keeping keeping their rpi to where they they could be an at large team if they needed it um but also um you know they just take care of their business in conference they don't they don't really mess around very much in this league so um, that that's, yeah, that that's exactly right. They are, they are the team out there in the, in the big West. They are, you know, what, um, you know, what five to seven years ago, we kind of assumed Fullerton was. And I say that because like, I don't actually know that they were as dominant as they looked necessarily. They were running off a lot of conference titles, but they weren't dominant like this all the time. So, um, they go into a series this weekend that, um, I guess is just like a don't get hurt kind of situation <laughs> against Cal state Bakersfield. Cause this team can't host, uh, you know um, they're too far back. Uh, they, they lost 11 spots in RPI just because they played Riverside. Well, um, they also lost to USC midweek. That doesn't help. Um, certainly, certainly doesn't help, but um, you know, but they've, they've got uh, Bakersfield this weekend. And I think I wrote this in the top 25 recap. This is a, uh, you know, keep everybody sharp and, and don't get hurt kind of weekend for, for Santa Barbara. And I guess there's the risk of you falling from a, a two to a three, maybe in some situation, but um, certainly not, not a series. that's going to have a lot of juice behind it. I would imagine. No, no, I, I think, and UCSB's like biggest hope right now is that they can find a way to avoid Stanford because they're probably just going to Stanford. It's, it, it's really probably at this point to stay. Are they a two in Stanford or are they a three in Stanford? Um, and we'll, uh, we'll just have to wait and see. But I would not be excited as Stanford if that is where the shows go. I would not be excited to see them show up there that way. Um, it's a good team. Uh, and look, this is the UCSB recruits the best of any team in the Big West. They have managed scheduling better than any team in the Big West. That's why they manage RPI the best of any team in the Big West. And I mean, I, I just can't say enough about what the program has become under Andrew Chekets. Uh, if you look at what they've done over the last six, seven years, it's uh, it's incredibly impressive. Yeah, they've they've also just generally this year specifically. I mean, they've they've done it. We talked. I think we talked about this when we talked about them. Like the one time it was relevant to talk about them during the season that. And this is a, a pitching staff that's lost, you know, Rodney Boone and, and McGreevy and, and those guys the last few years. I mean, they've lost a lot of pitching talent and they've just rebuilt the pitching staff kind of on the fly and they've done a really nice job with it. Um, one other thing to watch is that it Jordan Sprinkle had a, had a nice weekend against Riverside and, and he's a guy who, you know, Team USA guy, obviously the on paper, the most talented position player they've got. And, um, you know, he's really not, been up to what expectations were for him, but it feels like, you know, maybe just maybe he's getting some things going here. Um, but certainly he's the type of guy that can carry a team if he, if he gets really hot. So something to watch there from a guy that, you know, I've kind of been monitoring him this season. It just hasn't totally clicked in the way that you might've expected. Uh, all right, let's, uh, let's go to the big 12. The, uh, that title race is one we've been tracking closely for the last three weeks, I would say. And uh, we got one final one final twist here 
and it came in uh, in Texas Tech hosting Oklahoma. The Red Raiders and Sooners, as you'll recall, went into the weekend knowing that if they swept, they would be Big 12 champions. Texas Tech could share the title with TCU if they just won the series, but they would fall uh, they would fall short of the tiebreaker for the the number one seed in the Big 12 tournament. So that's where things stood. TCU, of course, was playing a non-conference series this weekend. All they could do is scoreboard watch from Fort Worth. Series opens, Oklahoma wins game one. Uh, they did it in kind of thrilling fashion. It was a, That was a pretty entertaining game. Then they come out and they take game two, and that sets up uh, Saturday a chance for Oklahoma to play for the Big 12 title. Uh, they got off to a great start. They scored two runs in the top of the first, and from there it was all Texas Tech the rest of the way. Uh, so Tech beats Oklahoma, TCU celebrates an outright Big 12 title. And look, we spent a lot of time talking about Tech, spent a lot of time talking about Oklahoma State, spent some time this week talking about Oklahoma. I don't know that we gave the Frogs enough of their due. They now walk away with the, the championship. And in Kirk Sarlus's first season, uh, you know, that, that, that can't be overlooked here, that like, a lot has turned over for the Frogs from last year, starting with their head coach. Jim Schlossnagel left after 15 years to go to AM. Kirk Sarlis is promoted. Uh, there, there's a lot of player turnover. It was an older group last year. Uh, they are able to, to coalesce, though, and they come out as Big 12 champions. And I just I, I, I think it's remarkable that, that that's where TCU ended the season. This is a team that was picked fourth by the coaches coming into the season. We didn't have them ranked coming into the year. They were close, but we didn't have them ranked. Uh, it, and you know, we certainly did not expect the Big 12 title race to come down and involve TCU. We thought Texas was going to win it. Maybe Oklahoma State was going to make it interesting. Big 12 title races usually are interesting since they only play 24 games. But I don't think, Joe, you or I saw TCU as being in the mix, much less winning it. No, and if you if you frankly had showed me the stat sheet that they have right now and and like took the record off of it and said like where do you think this team finished the big 12 like i don't know exactly what i'd say because it's hard to kind of do that but like i would have been like well that's probably not a championship team because what i would have looked at is the fact that you know austin crobe is only going to start five games and his numbers aren't particularly good and river writings era is over six and you know, Connor Oliver was a JUCO transfer that I thought was going to be a big part of this team. And his ERA is almost 10, you know, and, and, oh, Riley Cornelio is, is, you know, health is starting and like, he's been a nice contributor, but Brett Walker and Caleb Bolden, the two transfers, their ERAs are close to five. And, you know, you look at the, the offensive stat sheet and you see, you know, that, you know, there's some breakout years from, from Tommy Sacco and Braden Taylor's doing what we expected him to do, but it's a pretty top heavy lineup. And, I, so I would have gone like, yeah, it's a good team, but I, I don't know about big 12 champions. And so I think this has been talking about Kirk Sarloos. I think it's been a really good coaching job to get this, this roster to uh, an outright big 12 title because it's, it has not been easy. You know, they, they've had some guys offensively that have gone through some, some slow stretches and have um, they've had some guys get hot at different times. A shout out Porter Brown, who had like a 10 RBI game against Kansas a couple of weeks ago. And, um, you know, played well again this, this past weekend and kind of really seems to be coming into, uh, into his own, um, this season is a nice little piece for them to have, but 
it hasn't really been easy on either side of, of the ball, if you will, to use a football term. Um, and yet here they are outright big 12 champs. And yeah, it, it took some chaos to get it done. Right. I mean, they, they, they got some help in terms of the results happening the way they did, but it's a team that has, has just kind of managed to, to get it done despite some, some things that I think would have unraveled, unraveled some other teams. Yeah. I mean, the, the way that, the, that they did this, you're right. I mean, like if, if you, if you knew coming into the season, Austin Krobe was going to have the health issues he's had and you know, those transfers weren't going to, weren't going to be the big contributors. I, I, there's no way you would have seen this coming, but credit to them. And, you know, I feel like anytime I watch TCU, um, you know, it's uh, it's not an easy game either. Now, admittedly, I didn't watch the Kansas game when they won by like 30 runs. I think that was when Porter had his 10 RBI game. Uh, but, you know, they, they, they play a lot of close games and they, they keep finding a way to win. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I know the question on every TCU fan's mind right now is, are they going to host? Can they host? What do they have to do to host? Are they really not going to host the Big 12 champion? Like, look, they still have games left in Arlington. So the, the great thing about this is the selection committee doesn't have to make up its mind right now. And right now, I think you can craft a pretty convincing argument for why they shouldn't host and any argument for why they should host really just starts with, well, they won the big 12 and the big 12 is good, right? Um, TCU can really help the committee out by making it clear this week in Arlington, what they are. And um, you know, I not here to say it's going to be fair if they don't host, but it, it is uh, it's a position they left themselves in by doing so very little in non-conference play that I, I personally cannot really sit here and be like, well, they really need to host because what they did was they went out and, uh, you know, just any, any good team that they played in non-conference action, they, they really just missed an opportunity against. Uh, they are just uh, five and nine in non-conference games against teams with winning records. And so it's hard to say that like, okay, like you won this conference, but you did that in non-conference. Are you really one of the 16 most deserving hosts or the 16 best teams in the country? I'm not sure I'll say that. Like we have them ranked that way, but I, I, I would not go out there and pound the table for TC to host at this moment. One of the beauties of, I will, I will be at the big 12 tournament. Um, one of the beauties of the big 12 tournament is when you're talking conference tournaments, you, you just want there to be something to play for, for the teams that are there. Um, and in, in power conference tournaments, you just never quite know what's going to be on the table, but the big 12 is in a situation where, I mean, if you really want to like be optimistic about like West Virginia, maybe like there are six teams that if they win this thing might have a, a you know, a claim to hosting a regional, they're all in the top 37 because tech is 37 in the RPI, they're all four, those six teams are all 14 and 10 or better in the regular season. So they're all within two games of each other in the standings, like any of those teams blowing through the big 12 tournament, which is not going to be easy, of course, but you have to assume the RPI is going to be in a better position um, than, than it is now. Cause frankly, they all need RPI help. The best RPI of this group is Oklahoma state at 18. Like none of those are locks RPI wise. So at least one and, and probably two of these teams are going to feel a lot better about hosting at the end of the week. And we, the, the beauty of it is that we don't know which, the, which teams those are going to be as we look at it right now. It's really just all in front of them this week. 
Absolutely. And that is a great thing about the uh, Big 12 tournament there this week. Uh, Briefly, Joe, Texas Tech coming up short. Do you think it's just an emotional letdown? Uh, Is Oklahoma State maybe not as good as we thought? Like what what are you attributing this weekend in Lubbock to? I mean, I just think anytime you get in those types of games, like those are games that Tech tends to like to play. Those like kind of high scoring scrap games, the little rock fights, as I like to call them. And they just got beat by Oklahoma in those games. And oh, by the way, I think Oklahoma State doesn't mind playing those types of games either. So I think some of this is just that there are a group of teams. Let's throw TCU in that pile. Frankly, you you talked a little bit about playing in difficult games. Like, I think there are just a lot of teams in the Big 12 this year that like to play games that way and win games that way. But those games have a high variance when you're trying to play games that end nine to seven. You're just you're going to have a high variance in those games, and it's oftentimes going to come down to who has the last at bat. It feels like we've also had a lot of really exciting endings in the Big 12 this year. I, I don't think that's a coincidence. So I think that's what it is. I just think that they are playing a style of baseball that does lend itself to situations like that happening to them. And this week it it happened, uh, you know, with with a team in Oklahoma that has proven to be a good team. Yeah, I I guess I have some concerns about Tech's bullpen going forward. Um... You know, they Birdsell got hit uh, in a way that you don't typically see. But, you know, I, it's uh, they've been confusing all year long. I guess I'm just going to chalk this up as a, another confusing weekend for Texas Tech and another confusing weekend, frankly, in the Big 12, where everyone seems to be good. No one seems to be great. I prepare to be proven wrong over the next few weeks uh, if someone can get hot. But it uh, it doesn't seem like this is. A, a conference that that I mean again it, it it seems like what it is so often an entertaining conference but one that's a little short on national title contenders we'll we'll see if anyone can uh, can change my mind about that over the next three weeks before we get to the college world series I, I uh, all right Joe we've got we got a lot still to get to we haven't gone to the ACC or the SCC yet imagine doing 40 minutes on a college baseball podcast without getting to those two conferences Uh, We just did it. Uh, And we'll get to them here in a second. But first, if you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Check this out. All right, Joe, let's, uh, let's go to the ACC, where there was quite a lot going on this weekend. Coming into the, the weekend, all seven ACC series had something significant on the line. Uh, most of them were were talking about postseason or there were two top 15 series going on with, with hosting implications. And then Virginia Tech was playing Duke. Duke was trying to get into the ACC tournament and Virginia Tech was trying to win the ACC title. In the end, Virginia Tech swept Duke in Blacksburg. That combined with Miami losing once to Notre Dame in Coral Gables was enough to push Virginia Tech just over the top by like 12,000, 12,000 percentage points um and virginia tech wins the acc title for the first time it's their first conference championship of any sort in more than 20 years they last won uh in i think it was 2000 they won the big east title uh so the Hokies. i mean we've known it 
for several weeks now, but they, they looked like the best team in, in the ACC. They won the series against Miami and now uh, they, they have the, the, the championship to show for it. Yeah. We, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, like not wanting to lose sight of, of how incredible this run is for Virginia tech. And, and here they are, you know, going to be, you know, going to be a, a national seed. Right. So uh, just incredible. Like it, 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 Virginia tech is, is if, if, if things go according to, you know, the way the postseason is laid out, Virginia tech will be playing in Omaha, which is, um, it's just incredible. A lot of work to go until that point, obviously, but um, just an incredible accomplishment. And, you know, they kind of did it in uh, Virginia tech fashion this weekend. They had a, you know, a game that was a slug fest with Duke that they, they won. They had a game where drew Hackenberg pitched really well. And they kind of had a game in between, um, you know, use some bullpen guy. Like it was a very Virginia tech kind of weekend to, to clinch the, um, to clinch the, the ACC title, which I think is a um, mostly unofficial title. I think. Um, yes. The ACC does not try and claim it because they have divisions, but I'm here to tell you. Virginia Tech's the number one seed in the ACC tournament. That's enough for me. Let's call them regular season champs. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, the Wikipedia has been updated to say that they are the 2022 ACC champs. And um, I didn't do it. So never. somebody else out there <laughs> agrees with me. Yeah. First title since, uh, since like you said, since 2000. Shout out Chuck Hartman, longtime Virginia Tech coach. Um, yeah, they actually won a few Big East titles. They went back to back there in 99 and 2000. Yeah, look at that. How about that? Yeah, no, it's the late '90s were a boom times for Virginia Tech baseball. Apparently, I was not not really aware of that. Um, so yes, that was that was that. But you know, it felt like uh, I'm sure what you're leading to next is it. It felt like that was overshadowed this weekend by the just general chaos um, in, in, on the ACC bubble, where it feels like the bubble teams we thought were the bubble teams coming into the weekend are not necessarily all the bubble teams as we go into the ACC tournament. Yes, uh, definitely a wild weekend away from Blacksburg. Quickly, or not quickly if you don't want it to be, but before we move on to that chaos, I, prior to this weekend, had been very hesitant to put Virginia Tech in my eight for Omaha and off the bat because Virginia Tech has, and I I feel like I've said it here on the podcast, they have no postseason experience, effectively. Um, They haven't made the NCAA tournament since 2013. They're someone on that roster might have some transfer experience, but but effectively none of these guys have played in the postseason. After this weekend, after they've just consistently have run through the ACC, they lost that opening weekend against Georgia tech have not lost an ACC series since I'm done with that. Like I still am a little concerned about that. I'm still a little concerned with how narrow their pitching plan is at times, but they're going to be a top eight seed the ball is going to be jumping in Blacksburg. They hit 15 home runs this weekend. Like the ball is going to be jumping all June in Blacksburg. Who is going in there and beating Virginia Tech? So I am now saying I expect Virginia Tech and Omaha. Joe, should I still be thinking about the concerns? Or has Virginia Tech at this point just shown, like, look, is the best team in the ACC. They're probably going to be in Omaha. Yeah, I mean, I think it's more that just because this year in particular, a team built like this, I think is set up to thrive. I mean, we've talked about this on the podcast. We've talked about this offline. We, we talk, it seems like every episode, 80% of the teams we talk about, we go, I just, you know, I feel like their pitching can get got. Um, and I think that's, that's not just because you and I have a, a, a low bar for that. I mean, I think it's, <laughs> it's true. There's just, we, 
not a lot of pitching to go around. Like very few teams where I really trust their pitching and especially their pitching depth. The list might just be Tennessee and kind of Oregon state. <laughs> like that might be the entire list. Um, so t- if that is the case, then a team like Virginia tech that is incredibly offensive and is going to be playing in an offensive environment um, this year. Sometimes those types of teams can be a little bit risky. It feels like, because you, you have, two games where your offense comes out a little flat and you're, you're toast. But in this year where you can't bet on anybody pitching well, seemingly, I mean, why the heck not? You know, I mean, this team is good enough on its own merits just in general in any year, but in this year in particular, you know, I think it's, I think it's set up pretty well. Um, that said the, you bring up an interesting point about the lack of um, postseason experience, because it, it's something I've, I've thought about before. And maybe this is, we will throw this on the pile of, the ever growing pile of like off season projects that we talk about. And like, maybe we'll get to one day. It does feel like for ascendant programs like this, um, it it does feel like there is often a big time moment where they stumble when they were expected to win before they actually break through and win. I mean, coastal 2010 is like a shiny example. Um, you know, you could, I guess you could argue Virginia Tech had that moment already in 2013, but that was different. That was a team that squeaked into hosting. This is a different deal, but it does seem like that is a thing for a program that has not had the level of success they are experiencing in a given year. Maybe a little bit of a, 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 a slip up um, ahead of Omaha. And then so that's like the second or third time that opportunity comes around, that team actually kind of, fig- kind of figures it out. That would be something I'd be interested in, in I mean, digging I- into because I feel like it is a thing. I, I do think there's something to it. And, and it's interesting that you go to coast because there's such a long gap between that 2010 team and the, the it's six years before they go out and they win the national title. UCSB 2015 hosts hosts pretty well, as I recall, like it was pretty clear cut that they were going to host. Um, the next year is the Omaha year at a higher level. There's a lot of like, you know, Mike Rooney has talked about his theory of, it's not the best team that wins the national title. It's not the program's best team. It's the next year. Uh, you think about um, Florida in 2017, you know, kind of the 17 team was probably the least talented of the three years, 16 through 18 stretch. Uh, but it was the 17 team that won the title. Oregon State, 17 is the year that they have the 27 game winning streak twice. 18 is the national championship. Virginia did it. Vanderbilt did it. Um, so there, there's something there, uh, and we'll see if, what that means for this Virginia tech team. I don't know like what it is about all of that stuff. Like, I I don't know why something like that might be the case, but I, I do just genuinely have some concerns about a team that has so little postseason experience. Now, John chef does have postseason experience. He took Maryland to super regionals twice. So he knows what he's doing in the dugout. Now, can he get the players to, to be prepared enough to, to execute at that level? We'll see. Um, but amazing season continues for Virginia tech. There's more to come. Now let's go back to that bubble that you mentioned, Joe, uh, coming into the week, the ACC had like five teams that were kind of bubbly, um, Clemson, Georgia Tech, UNC, Pittsburgh, Wake Forest, four of those teams not only won this weekend, but they got sweeps. And the only one that didn't was Pittsburgh, and that's because Georgia Tech swept them. So those four teams that I just mentioned, they now all have uh, – three of them have 15 ACC wins. 
and for the that's Wake, Georgia Tech, and UNC. And for those teams, uh, they all they all rank in the top thirty in RPI. It sure seems like their their tickets are are are, are secure. They are going to the tournament. Is the way it looks right now. Clemson only has thirteen ACC wins. They do have a top thirty RPI. I have concerns about them. NC State now, which was swept by Wake, has the worst RPI. Uh, well, I mean, aside from Pitt, but they have the worst RPI of the group going to the ACC tournament. It's in the 40s. They only have 14 ACC wins. Suddenly, the Wolfpack are looking bubbly. And Florida State, which came into the weekend hoping that a series win in Chapel Hill would push them uh, into the hosting mix or, or firmly onto the host line, uh, they are they are that that's over unless they go out and win the ACC tournament. ACC tournament now feels like Clemson needs something. You, NC State needs to avoid a bad week. And uh, yeah, I mean, just a, a complete turn of events from where we were a week ago. Yeah, we as the weekend unfolded, you tweeted something interesting about, you know, either we're going to be wrong about predicting because this is another thing we saw coming, right? It's like Carolina and Wake's RPIs were in such a place like if they get a result this weekend, they're in good shape. If Clemson sweeps, they're in they're at least in the conversation. And then we didn't expect necessarily, you know, state to get swept. So we kind of thought, okay, state's probably okay too. So either we're going to be wrong about some of that, or the ACC is going to break the record and get 11 teams into regionals. And I think to be clear, I tweeted this on Friday. So nobody has swept yet. Right. So I think you were thinking about that correctly. Like I agree. And I still kind of agree with you that that premise I think is correct. Now I think what has changed is all of those sweeps have made it such that Clemson is now looking around in state too, obviously, but Clemson in particular with the 13 ACC wins is now kind of looking around going, uh Oh, um, because I think something, a thing that can happen sometimes in a committee situation is that if you've got a cluster of teams like that from the same league, you know, I think it's easy to look for places where you can draw a dividing line and the wake, the wakes and UNC's of the world have, done enough now georgia tech have done enough now that there's an obvious dividing line between them at the 15 acc wins and clemson at 13 acc wins so i think they go into it state two they're kind of in between of course with 14 but it's a situation where clemson did all we really asked them to do at least to finish the season by sweeping boston college but they kind of look around and go oh that may not actually be enough now and we kind of assumed that it might get them in the position for it to be enough but the the it is a great reminder that movement on the bubble does not happen in a vacuum that Clemson did what we thought they might need to do. And then looked up at the end of the weekend and the circumstances had changed around them. Yeah. The, the fact remains that Clemson is the, no, that they're 12th, they're seated 12th in the ACC tournament. So, uh, you know, that, that it, it's going to be an interesting week. The format of the ACC tournament doesn't really do a team that's seated 12th any favors. They have to win twice to advance. They cannot advance the one and one. And that sort of for Clemson, that means that they are going to have to beat Virginia Tech. And if they beat Virginia Tech, a lot of this changes. Their RPI improves. They add another big time win. Like, But that's kind of what's staring Clemson in the face now. And if they were to go 0-2, I would not like their chances at all. So, you know, congrats on sweeping BC, Clemson. Now go do some more work at Charlotte, like, uh, is, is the way that that looks. I, one note on this is that 
the ACC, we, we have waited. I have written so many times over the last few years, like, oh, the SEC trying to break the record, trying to get that 11th team in. Uh, well, it was the ACC that was first to 10, and now the ACC might be first to 11. If you're looking for a case for Clemson, it involves that they have a top 30 RPI, that their strength of schedule is 14, and that in addition to winning 13 games in the ACC, uh, they are 5-0 and against Georgia and South Carolina. Like that is that is the the bulk of Clemson's case. They also have thirteen top fifty wins. Like that is the case for Clemson. The case against them is well, you finished twelfth in the ACC and you're thirteen and sixteen, and you're nine and thirteen away from Clemson, six and twelve in true road games. So like, this is kind of the definition of bubble. Uh, we've seen teams with similar resumes get left out. We've seen teams with similar resumes get in. Uh, but I, I do think there's a lot riding on on this week in Charlotte for for the Tigers. I mean, it, it makes some sense to me that the ACC would be the league to to break the ten barrier and then to break potentially the eleven barrier. Just just the way the conference is set up, right? Where you know the, the ACC more often has a team like BC this year that was just not good, and so BC sitting there with five ACC wins. Also, the ACC less often it feels like, you know, other than, you know, there's been years where Louisville has been this, but, you know, especially this year, there is no Tennessee in that league where Tennessee's ripping off 26 conference wins. Everybody's kind of squished in the middle. And when that happens, it's not necessarily the league is deeper. Um, although maybe it is, it's just that everybody's squished in the middle. So there are teams that in a better version of the ACC would be 12 and 18 instead of 14 and 16 or whatever um, that are on the bubble as opposed to not on the bubble in, in the case of being 12 and 18. So it, it does make some sense to me just based on the way the leagues are kind of constructed and the way the leagues play out that, that it's the ACC pushing, pushing this boundary again versus the SEC. Yeah. And I mean, the, the other thing that you're talking about these things, not operating in a bubble, we also can't just confine Clemson to the ACC bubble here or the, the bubble like it, it, it's not just about what's happening in the ACC the the broader bubble includes a team like Ole Miss which has a worse RPI a worse strength of schedule and less top 50 wins and that's a team that we all right now seem to think is pretty pretty much in the field they just happen to have 14 SEC wins versus 13 ACC wins I do wonder if when they get in the committee room uh, they're going to wonder, they're going to look at that side by side and say like, wait, why, why is Ole missing? And like, you can make a case for why that's the case, but I, I don't know. I, some things that we think we thought we knew, I think we don't. And I, I certainly fell into this trap last year. I know a lot of people fell into it with me uh, on Tuesday of the SEC tournament, Georgia beat LSU. It sure felt like, and in that case, Georgia advances in the SEC tournament. LSU is done. It felt like, hey, Georgia just secured its bid. LSU is going to sweat out Selection Monday. Well, LSU sweated out Selection Monday and got in, but Georgia did the same and got left out. So what you think you know today, what we thought was true a week ago, like we do have to remember that things change, circumstances change, and I mean, Tennessee is a lock. <laughs> Tennessee is a lock at the number one overall seat. Uh, but short of things like that, they're just locks are hard to come by this time of year, uh, especially knowing that, that things are going to continue to change over the next week. 
Yes, and I I um I will say this again. I said it last week, but every every podcast is someone's first. There will be uh, the committee is going to have to like draw a line in the sand and make some some one off decisions. They are going to have to make some blanket decisions, and there will be a team left out or a team that gets in that seems contradictory to the way the rest of it went. And that's just the way it, it goes. A cynic would say, a cynic would say that, no, they, they pick the teams they want to pick and they reverse engineer justifications for them. And I'm not here to tell that cynic that he's wrong. I'm just saying that like, I think more likely what it is is that there was something else that they liked about that team that they thought trumped whatever it was, RPI conference finish, da, 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 da. Um, I think that's just the more genuine way to, to look at it, but that is going to happen. And I actually kind of like it. I mean, I know it's kind of a hot take. I just, I, I, you know, I like the idea that it's not a formula to get into the field of 64, that there's no like code you can crack, you know, to just a certain threshold where, you know, you're in, I mean, obviously, you know, you're in if you do it, but I mean, as far as the bubble goes, like there's no, there's no goalpost that, you know, for sure is right where the bubble line is. And, and I kind of like that because I just, Look, these coaches are smart. Like they know there's a lot of coaches out there that are really good at scheduling these days, more so than I think 10, 15 years ago, certainly. They're savvy about scheduling. They know how the RPI works. They know what works for the RPI. They know it doesn't. Now, part of the result of that is we get stuff like the rash of canceled games and all that stuff down the down, down the stretch. Um, I don't love that, but these guys know what they're doing. Um, so I'm kind of glad, I guess, that it's not just a formula situation because it seems like <laughs> some of these coaches would figure that out really, really well and, and would be able to uh, to game that a little bit. So I do like that there is some mystery there, even if on the day of Selection Monday, sometimes it can be a little confounding to understand how we arrived where we arrived. All righty, let's, uh, let's go to the SEC. This one was a little more of a straightforward weekend, not as much to play for in part because Tennessee had already uh, wrapped up the title. SEC West title was to play for AM uh, goes out and wins that as they win a series at Ole Miss and Arkansas loses a series stunningly at Alabama uh, after winning on Thursday night, Alabama, uh, Arkansas did Alabama came back and, and won the next two uh, and the tide by doing so like uh, they're, they have a fighting chance in Hoover uh, just much like they did last year. And last year they went out and they got it done. Um, the other big result in the SEC this weekend was that Vanderbilt got swept at home by LSU. That's Vanderbilt coming off of back-to-back road series wins at Georgia and Arkansas comes home uh, to face a team that had just been swept at home by Ole Miss uh, and loses. And not only loses, but they give up 42 runs on the weekend. That is the most that a Vanderbilt team has given up in a series under Tim Corbin. Um I like I, I would like to just stick there in Nashville for a second, Joe, and ask what and also what um, like LSU. We knew they had we know they have this in them at any given time. They got Jacob Berry back this weekend. But Ole Miss, a team not known for its pitching, gave up nine runs in the box last weekend. Vanderbilt, a team that came in to the weekend fourth in the nation in ERA, got housed for 42 runs this weekend at the Hawk. Yeah, I will raise you your what and what and raise you a how um, because I, I'm in the same boat. I don't I don't really know other than to say that, you know, LSU can do this to teams. Um, this obviously is above and beyond what, um, 
you know, what, what we could have expected going in. I, I really don't know. Um, I know home runs have been a little bit of an issue. You mentioned that to me. And now that I'm looking at the stat sheet, like, yeah, I mean, among the guys who are throwing the most innings in, in a starting role, like home runs have been a little bit of an issue. Um, you know, Devin Fatrell moving from midweek to the weekend has not worked out. Um, it, it should also be said that Carter Holton did not pitch this weekend, but one freshman left-hander, even as good as he is, is not saving you from giving him 42 runs on the weekend. Correct. Yes. Um, I don't know. Like this, this continues to be, this Vanderbilt team continues to be one of the strangest animals in college baseball, just because, um, although interesting, their mascot, not an animal, a human, um, <laughs> but they, they continue to be one of the strangest animals in college baseball, because I don't, I think we figured some things out about them, right? Like they don't have a tent pole starting pit. I mean, sure. There's no Jack lighter. There's no, no Kumar rocker, but there's not even like somebody, whatever the step below that is, I'm struggling for like a specific Vanderbilt name that, that kind of fits, fits that exact, exact bill. Um, but, um, Mason Hickman, maybe, you know, yeah, like somebody that, that like was, that, that like, was, was just... the name I was struggling for, uh, or, um, who was the guy a year before him, uh, from Illinois, keep talking. I'll look it up. I will. Yeah, I will. I will filibuster a little more. It's what I do best. Um, so there's not, we, we, we have learned that there is not like a guy like that, just a real steady Eddie guy that week to week, you kind of know what you're going to get, even if the ceiling is not as high as a, as a lighter or rocker. So we know that we also know offensively it's, it's a pretty Drake top fellows. heavy lineup. You, ah, yeah. Straight fellows. Yes. Old number 66. Right. And then the number he wore sounds right. One of those. Yeah. Um, yeah. We know the offense is top heavy. We know that the pitching staff, there's not that steady Eddie guy that they're leaning on some young pitchers too. Um, Vanderbilt is always going to be relatively young. That's kind of the way they, they just kind of build that, that program for the most part, but this year seems particularly so inexperienced in, in that regard. And yet you, you said it went into the weekend fourth in the country in, in ERA and the offensive numbers aren't bad. Um, and yet it, it, it's, you know, in, it ends up being an under 500 SEC team and a team that I just think I'm going to have trouble not imagining this team making a run just because of, of what the numbers tell me and what the talent tells me. But so far it has not amounted to much in the way of consistency or frankly, like super impressive results. I mean, they've, they, okay. Series win against Arkansas. Sure. But like in terms of consistent results week after week, they just haven't gotten there. And I don't know what to make of that. And this has been however long it's been three or four minutes of me filibustering and really not coming up with anything approaching an answer. Yeah. I, uh, it's confounding, but I, I, I do want to credit LSU here um, and getting Jacob Berry back. He missed a week. He broke a finger um, and uh, now can he's limited to DH and in batting right-handed, um, but getting him back in the lineup was, was important. He had a good weekend. Um, that That's, that's a thing. I saw Dylan Cruz say that the mentality felt different that, and this is me now paraphrasing Cruz, but basically like their backs were up against the wall. If they wanted to host, they knew they needed to have a big weekend in Nashville. So maybe that was something that, that worked for them. They wore their gold uniforms this weekend. You know, maybe that helped with their mentality. I don't know. There's any number of things that, that maybe helped. I think mostly this just, this is a good team and they finally click something clicked for them this weekend. I don't know if LSU is going to host now their RPIs in the twenties. This is they're, they're 23, one step behind AM. 
but they lost um, a lot of the the big SEC West series. It's a confusing resume. Uh, I'm really going to have to sort that one out here over the next couple of days. Um, and then they'll hopefully help me sort it more in Hoover. But they do get the number four seed in the SEC tournament, which crucially comes with a bye. Um, so if they want to make a deep run, things are set up for them. Now, four seed. Especially crucial that- for that team. Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, although their pitching staff has gotten a lot better, quietly gotten a lot better. Yeah, no, Shout agree. out Jason Kelly. Uh, he has done a great in-season yeah. job. Uh, now, yeah, I just being think the it's, it's the deal where, like, the way they – oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, yeah, I was just going to say being matched, being the four seed does mean they're matched with Tennessee. That's a bit of an impediment to a deep run, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. You also, we talk about motivation, like Tennessee, what are – you know, how how – willing are they going to be to that, that seems like a team that can't not push the pedal to the metal but like we'll see how motivated they are but i, I, I was just uh, going to say like quickly oh, on that uh before i distract you further i found randomly i was looking through some old stuff tony vitello a few years ago said that the sec tournament is harder to win than the college world series <clears throat> and let me put the full context of this in because that that on itself is inflammatory and he knew it was inflammatory when he said it um but he was just saying that like there are no the off days in Omaha help you so much more than the SEC tournament. And he's very cognizant or was very cognizant at the time of sometimes if you push to win the SEC tournament, you end up a little gassed. It's a very tough emotional mental thing to be playing that level of games day after day after day in Hoover. So I wonder, I wonder how much they're going to push it this week. I, I think it's fair to question that. Yeah. I, and if I were them, to be fair, like if I were them, I would, I would not put expend all that much effort there to be to be quite honest um especially given their specific situation where they are trying to bring some guys back right like you're still uh, they're still kind of uh, somewhere on the spectrum of bringing tidwell and dolander back to 100 percent, whatever that is i mean they both look like they're they look great it's just you know those are guys who miss time then you know, Beam and Burns are have heavy workloads as freshmen, and they've tried to find ways to lighten those those loads. And so, they've got a lot of reasons to just kind of dial it back. And, and we'll see if they are we'll see if they're even frankly capable of that because that's a team that plays on such emotion and intensity that it it's kind of hard to imagine what it would be like if they didn't. So, but my point about LSU is just that, like I totally agree. Like I've been impressed with the way they've put that pitching staff together over time. Cause I, I do kind of trust them now to, to pitch fairly well. Like it's not, it's never going to be like a shutdown starter kind of thing. Um, but they've got good volume in the bullpen in it, but it, it helps to, to not be on all I was getting at is it helps to not be on Tuesday because you just never know, like because of to Vitella's point, because of the day after day nature of the sec tournament, if you use four relievers on day one, for a team that's built like LSU, that's just a tough, that's just a tough deal, <laughs> you know, cause you're, you're going to have to insert days off in there. That's a, just a really hard thing to do. So no doubt about it. Arkansas goes out and loses the series to Alabama. DBH said after their win on Thursday that they hadn't peaked yet. Um, I think that's abundantly clear. Uh, but Joe, is Arkansas ever going to peak at this point? Like what, this team is down to 33 in RPI. It's going to be hard for them to host with a 33 RPI. They didn't win the SEC West. I frankly don't know what they're even hanging their hat on. Although, again, if they just win two games in Hoover. They'll have 20 SEC wins. Like, that would be something. But the fact that they didn't win this series means that they have to win two games in Hoover to get to 20 SEC wins. I just I don't think it's happening for them. 
Yeah, I'd love to know. And this is this is going to sound snarky. I don't mean it that way because DVH has proven to be one of the best in the game, right? I mean, so who am I? But I would just love to know what would it look like if they were peaking, right? Because to your point, I I just or what I assume you were getting at, like I just I don't know what they're clearly not peaking now, but I don't know what that I don't know what that would look like. I don't know what could fundamentally change, right? I mean on the mound, it's, you know, Connor Nolan has backslid a little bit. I think that, you know, the book is, is out a little more on him, but he's still their most solid guy. You've got a freshman Hagen Smith is kind of dealing with the same thing. The Vanderbilt freshmen are dealing with and Jackson Wiggins has been incredibly inconsistent. And then they've got a couple guys in the bullpen. They really trust Zach Morris, Brady Tiger, but it's still pretty, you know, Zeb Vermillion, Evan Taylor. It goes a little bit deeper than it did last year, but not infinitely deeper. And then the offense just looks like a slightly scaled back version of what they were last year, frankly, which was, which was pretty good, but like a little prone to going quiet from time to time, especially when they're not hitting the ball out of the ballpark. And so like, I have to trust that he thinks there's another gear in there. He knows his team better than I know his team. That's for darn sure. But I would just be curious of what he thinks that extra gear is and what he thinks that would look like, because it's not clear to me from the outside looking in, like I could sit here and maybe take some guesses at it, but I'm not hundred percent sure of what he would, what he would be expecting to have happen in order for this team to find some other place to go to, because I just, I kind of think this team is what it is. I mean, at this time of year, most of these teams are, that is, that is the honest truth that, you know, we're, we're sitting here on May 23rd. These teams are who they are by and large. All right, let's, uh, let's touch on a couple of things quickly here. Joe Maryland won the big 10. Uh, first conference title for Maryland in 51 years. They last won it uh, as a member of the ACC back in the 70s. Um, they, uh, they've been so good all season long. Their RPI is up to three, like Maryland, incredible story. Um, we also had the first automatic bids handed out. We mentioned UCSB also punching their ticket. Uh, Coppin State won the MEAC tournament and Columbia came back to win the Ivy League tournament, Penn had won game one of the best of three. Uh, Columbia goes out and sweeps a doubleheader on Sunday. And the Lions have now won two of the last three Ivy League uh, Ivy League titles. Uh, take that wherever you want it, Joe. I just wanted to make sure we got, got those things all out there because the, congratulations to all of those teams, uh, especially Coppin State and, and Columbia, which are, are now tournament bound. Yeah, the, yeah. Can, uh, good opportunity for Coppin in this new MEAC, you know, it's a team, a program that's it's typically been pretty decent in the MEAC, but it's just because Bethune was what they were for so long. And then, you know, some other teams have cropped up. It always seems like they kind of got passed. So it's, it's, it's good to see that program break through H- happy for them. Obviously the first time the they won is, the MEAC tournament since uh, 1995. Yeah. So um, you wonder what the future of the MEAC is, but that's a uh, question for another day. Um, not that I, I, I'm not saying that Columbia couldn't play well in a regional wherever they end up, but I was kind of interested to see Penn in particular because of what they did against AM suggests that like that's a team that actually could have um, made some noise and, and maybe Columbia can too. So I don't want to sell them short, um, but we've just seen it obviously more to a, to a greater degree with Penn. So um, in the big, in the big 10, Maryland incredible season is now set up to like be a top eight seed, which is incredibly impressive. Um, also just some, uh, drama at the back of the Big Ten tournament. We told you to watch this, like, and and we got some drama, some unexpected drama at the back of the Big Ten tournament in a situation going to the last day of the season where if Nebraska beat Michigan State, 
and Maryland beat Purdue, uh, both things you would have predicted to happen. Uh, Nebraska would get in as the eight seed to the Big Ten tournament, which is crucially played in Omaha. And Nebraska takes care of business against Michigan State. But like while they're playing, like fifth or sixth inning, it becomes pretty clear that the weather is not great uh, in West Lafayette. That's also a crucial component here. They're playing in West Lafayette. So, you know, Purdue has some modicum of control over like, you know, when they get on the field and how they, how they approach that. Um, so they hold off on playing and it gets to a point where they just, they, they don't start the game and Maryland has a travel curfew. So it just ends up getting canceled. And because it was canceled, Purdue is the eight seed in the big 10 tournament, not Nebraska. And so obviously Nebraska, not the people surrounding the program, mind you, but like fans and whatnot are, are obviously very upset about that it's, to their credit. The people around the Nebraska program, while I'm sure they are a little peeved about it, are basically just saying, which is also true, that like, yeah, we just didn't win enough games. Like, it should have never come to this, which is, I think, also true. But an interesting little wrinkle there, and that is a nightmare scenario for the Big Ten tournament because that tournament being in Omaha, there is a that is a big stadium, obviously, and there is a massive difference in the turnout, even for games that don't involve Nebraska. There is a difference in turnout for game for when Nebraska is there versus when Nebraska is not there. I covered that tournament in 2018 in a year when Nebraska was not there and Iowa, which borders the state went 0 and two. Um, and the attendance was not great. So, um, unfortunate there for the conference, but again, Nebraska, uh, you know, the last day of the season drama aside, like that was just a team that didn't win enough games, had a lot of stuff go wrong. So it's hard to, hard to get too been out of shape about what happened the last day of the season. Iowa, uh, cannot afford to go into this year they are they, they made some nice rpi move over the last couple of weeks they're into the top 60 now i still think they're gonna get in even with a disappointing rpi but i'm here to tell them oh and two's not gonna do it for you so uh we'll we'll see what the hawkeyes can do and uh i, I know the big 10 would like to see a deeper iowa run as well because uh they they will bring some fans uh, if you're looking for conference tournaments to watch this week, obviously the big ones are the the big ones. You don't need our help recommending that. But for me, Joe, Conference USA is the one to watch. Uh, Southern Miss is pretty well locked into hosting, but there are like four teams that are bubbly in Conference USA, and somebody's going to get in. I just don't know whether it's going to be LaTeX, UTSA, um, Old Dominion. Middle got swept this weekend by Southern Miss, but their RPI is still good enough that I think they can recover with a run uh, there in Hattiesburg. So that that's a intriguing tournament. What are you watching outside of that one and the big ones? Yeah, that's a good call in CUSA. I'm also watching leagues that have, so the leagues that could be bid stealing leagues. So I think of the A-Sun, Liberty and Kennesaw State, both bubble teams. If they don't win the auto bid, if you're a bubble team, you want one of those two teams to win the auto bid and ideally you'd want the other one to be clearly out of the bubble picture because of the losses they took on. So that's league. That league is one to watch. The big East is one to watch because UConn is, is probably in decent enough shape if they don't win the auto bid. We'll see. Uh, yeah. That's, that's a tough one. The American, you know, East Carolina has played their way into being um, you know, they're going to be in regardless. So if, if so if some team does, does what South Florida, what did I say? Oh, no, no. I'm saying this. I, I, I jumped oh, the gun. Yes. The SoCon is. Yeah. Yeah. The SoCon is one of those. Yeah. 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 Um, and I'll have a piece on that. Um, not by the time people listen to this probably, but uh, Tuesday for the start of conference tournaments, I'll have a piece on if you're a fan of a bubble team, 
here are the teams you should root for, like a handy little guide for you to just kind of follow along um, as the week begins. But those are the conferences I end up watching because uh, outside of the big ones, because oftentimes if you're looking at where the bubble is going to end up, like those are the leagues to watch because ultimately it could make a four or five spot in some years difference in how many bubble spots are available in the end. I like that tease. Uh, make sure you guys look for that over at baseballamerica.com later this week. There will be plenty more there. We'll have daily uh, updates to the projected field of 64 once I put the first one of the week out, which hopefully will happen on Tuesday. We'll see. Uh, it's also coaching change season. Um, we didn't get to it here. Kansas uh, coach Rich Price retired. Um, there have been several other changes. There will be more changes over the next week. Uh, tracking them all over at baseballamerica.com and I'll have my annual list of 50 names to watch on the coaching carousel this year there as well. So a lot to read. Make sure you're following us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. He will be in Arlington for the Big 12 tournament. I will be in Hoover for the SEC tournament. We will be back here on Thursday for another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Um, So make sure you are subscribed to the Baseball America podcast. On your favorite podcasting app, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, hit the follow, subscribe button, whatever the, the thing on your favorite app is. And we will see you back here on Thursday uh, to talk about all of these tournaments. For Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time.